0: A warning to listeners, this podcast contains strong language and intense situations. On March 30th, 2016, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman walked up to a podium in a crowded Minneapolis courthouse. Good morning. We have a great deal of important information to share
1: and I ask for your patience and cooperation over the next 30 minutes.
0: I was there to cover this. It was so packed with people. I had to watch from another room where they were showing Freeman's remarks on a huge screen. First,
1: I want to extend my sincere condolences to the Clark family. Jamar
0: Clark deserved an opportunity for a full and productive life. We are saddened that this tragic incident means he won't have
2: that opportunity. Jamar Clark was a 24-year-old black man. He'd been killed by police during a struggle on a Minneapolis street four months before. Exactly what happened that night is still unclear. The officers involved said Clark had reached for one of their guns. Some witnesses disputed that claim. Reham and I covered that shooting and the protests that racked the city in the days and weeks afterwards. Demonstrators set up a camp outside a police precinct on Minneapolis' north side, near where Clark was killed. The precinct responded by building fences and barricades to block their front door. Protesters lit fires at the camp around the clock for days on end. People huddled around them in the cold and called for justice. Police shut down the camp after 18 days. It took four months for Freeman to announce his decision on charges. The Twin Cities were waiting to hear.
0: That day at the podium, Freeman reviewed the details of the Clark shooting. And then...
1: Accordingly, the Hennepin County Attorney's Office has concluded that criminal charges are not warranted against either Officer Mark Ringenberg or Officer Dustin Schwartz.
0: The use of deadly force against Jamar Clark, he said, was justified. This is how it's always gone in Minnesota. No Minnesota officer in any record we can find has ever been charged for shooting and killing someone while on duty. I didn't know then that nearly eight months later, I'd be standing listening to another county attorney lay out the details of another police shooting. I'm Reham Fashir.
2: And I'm John Collins.
0: And this is 74 Seconds.
2: We're reporters with Minnesota Public Radio. In this podcast, we're telling the story of the shooting of Philando Castile and its aftermath. For the full story, start with Episode 1.
0: We've been talking about Jamar Clark because the way the Clark case unfolded, with the protest camp outside the police precinct and the decision not to charge, it all shaped how the community responded to Philando's death.
2: Last episode, we walked you through the night Philando Castile was shot. We're picking up right there again that night as the crowds gathered at Larpender and Fry in Falcon Heights.
3: Stay with me. We got pulled over for a busted tail light in the back. And the police
2: just That night, the video popped up on Misha Grimm's Facebook feed. As soon as she saw Philando Castile's blood-soaked white t-shirt, she turned it off. She did not need to see anymore.
3: Um, so, yeah, I do remember watching it
2: and, and being absolutely horrified. Grimm is one of the founders of Black Lives Matter Minneapolis. She's 26. After turning off the video, she went
3: to the scene of the shooting. I remember watching the car being taken away from where Philando was killed. And a couple people come up to me and they're like, do you think we should go to the governor's mansion? And I'm like, yes. And so they went. They went to St. Paul. They went
2: to Summit Avenue, the city's old money boulevard that's lined with mansions. They didn't want to set up outside another police precinct like at the Jamar Clark protest. This time, they aimed higher. They went to the governor's front gates.
4: Hey.
0: Our colleague Tom Sheck was there that night.
4: I've never seen anything like this.
0: He described the scene to his editor well, over I the mean, phone. They
4: basically just shut down Summit. Now, obviously it's, what, three in the morning? But somebody drove a car up on the sidewalk in front of the governor's mansion.
0: Protesters wrapped the mansion's gates in police tape. They honked their car horns to wake up the neighborhood. And they draped a banner over the fence. It read, Justice for Philando.
2: Overnight, Philando's name went everywhere. The world woke up to his story.
3: Philando Castile cooked for kids at a Montessori school in St. Paul, Minnesota. was just video Diamond Reynolds, amie
2: Just after dawn in Minnesota, Valerie and Clarence Castile, Philando's mother and uncle, were interviewed by CNN's Alison Camerata.
1: We've seen so many. Videos like this certainly in my line of work but this one I have to tell you is different and in part it's because his his girlfriend was live streaming it and so you saw her reaction you saw her four-year-old daughter's reaction in the backseat and you saw your son's reaction have you spoken to his girlfriend we can't locate her no one knows where she is the last time I saw her is when my daughter and I came up on the scene and she was in the back seat of the... Uh, Falcon Heights. Falcon Heights Police Department's police car. And they wouldn't even let us get close enough to her to even
0: talk with her. Back at the governor's mansion, the sun continued to rise. Word continued to spread. The crowd continued to grow. The NAACP was getting ready for their press conference. And then... And nine o'clock.
3: Are, I'm the, woman who recorded the, video. I'm the one. My God daughter God is the one that was there. Diamond arrived.
2: I don't know if she even slept. She'd spent part of the night in an interrogation room at the Roseville Police Department with her four-year-old daughter. They'd taken her statement. Then, one of the investigators had given her $40 of his own money because the groceries she and Philando had picked up had been towed away with his car as evidence. Police had dropped her and her daughter off at home in the middle of the night. They'd taken her phone as evidence, too, which is why no one had been able to reach her. People swarmed around her. She was not up at a podium. She was right in the middle of the crowd telling her story again.
3: Because I wanted everybody in the world to see what the police do and how they roll. And it's not right. It's not acceptable.
2: People were shouting questions and offering support as she went over the details of what had happened only 12 hours before.
3: I will not be able to sleep until I get justice. Mm -hmm. I need justice, I need peace. I want justice, I want peace. I want justice. And even after justice, this will never go away. Listen, Listen. Listen. listen.
2: And standing outside the mansion, Diamond called on Minnesota's governor, Mark Dayton,
0: to take action. Dayton could hear the calls from inside. He's a Democrat and a former U.S. senator. He's white and a member of the family that found a target. Finally, he came outside to address the crowd. After a few remarks, he looked right at Diamond and the members of Philando's family who had gathered and he apologized.
4: I'm, I will uh,
1: meet with the press later on. I don't think I want to interrupt what's going right on here again. My deepest uh, apologies. You uh, and your daughter were extraordinary last night. I can't tell you
4: how sorry I am you the terrible tragedy that's been forced on you and on your family. I
3: don't want you guys to be. Sorry, I want y'all to be more careful. We want justice. We want justice. You will get justice. You want justice, you deserve justice. You'll
1: get justice.
4: Justice. Justice. Swift and fast.
0: You will get justice, Dayton said.
2: But people in the crowd were not buying it. Some of them had been at the Jamar Clark protest at the police precinct. They remembered Mike Freeman and his decision not to charge. Dayton's words were not enough. Immediately, Pastor Danny Givens, a Black Lives Matter activist, called the governor out. Givens had known Philando Castile. He'd seen him just the week before, playing chess in a garage with some friends. Givens told the governor, You keep telling us you're going to do something. i sat at the table with you. I
3: just want you
2: to put some action on it. Put some respect on our people's name. We seen the life. That's all I want. I just want it to be
3: real. This isn't black anger. This is black grief. This is black pain. This is black hurt. These are black people out here mad protesting. These are black people out here mad because we're tired of our children being murdered in the streets.
0: Governor Dayton stood there through the rest of the NAACP press conference. At some point, he left, and five hours later, he got in front of another microphone, this time at the state capitol. There, Dayton took his comments from that morning even further. He bluntly said the same thing protesters have been saying for years.
1: Would this have happened if those passengers, the driver and the passenger, were white? I don't think it would have. So I'm forced to confront, and I think all of us in Minnesota are forced to confront, that this, this kind of... Uh, Racism exists, and that it's incumbent upon all of us to vow that we're going to do whatever we can to see that it doesn't happen, it doesn't continue to happen.
2: That's the highest elected official in the state, effectively the voice of Minnesota, saying Philando Castile would not have been killed if he was white. That's not the sort of thing you hear from politicians very often.
0: As governor, Dayton doesn't have any control over criminal charges. That's up to the head prosecutor in each county. And no county attorneys in Minnesota had ever chosen to file charges in a case like this. Even still, Dayton's response was momentous, and he stuck to it.
4: Governor, what is the question that you find yourself most struggling to answer right
1: now? Why did this happen? Philando
2: Castile's death had this effect. It made people ask why. It galvanized people, brought them into the streets. It started that morning at the governor's mansion and spread out across the summer. Misha Grimm says Philando's story reached more people and moved more people than other stories before had. Part of it was because of the Facebook Live video, which millions of people watched. And part of it was because of who Philando was and his ties to the community
3: kids loved him and so it also brought out a new consciousness in a lot of particularly white people who um had somehow always been able to justify police brutality by how bad the victim was which shouldn't matter either way but now philando was somebody that couldn't be looked at as a bad dude couldn't be looked at as a criminal um and so that brought a different energy too to the space where people who had never protested before were coming out and um saying that that they cared about these things
4: so
0: many people taking to the streets brought a tense challenge for the police. Officers were monitoring crowds and directing traffic even as people broke out in anti-police chants or yelled in their faces
3: <laughs> Indicted, send those cops to jail. the whole damn
0: the Minnesota Peace Officers Association, which represents police officers all around the state, said the governor's remarks about the shooting had the potential to incite violence, Republican State Representative Tony Cornish, a former police chief, said it was inappropriate for the governor to pass judgment about the shooting before the investigation was over. He called Dayton's remarks an idiotic statement.
1: He had time to think about what he was going to say, and he said it anyway. And uh, I don't know how else to term it. Where where could that have come from, because I just feel that he was trying to please the advocacy groups that were knocking on his door.
0: Cornish said Dayton's references to racism could potentially influence the investigation.
2: And that investigation was already underway. At almost the same time that the governor was making his remarks at the Capitol, Officer Jeronimo Yanez was giving a formal interview with the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. He had his lawyer with him. Yanez told investigators that he remembered the gun smoke that night, the bright flashes from the muzzle, a couple of pops. He told them he could only remember the last two shots. He fired seven. His attorney, Tom Kelly, said in an interview that race was not a factor in the shooting.
4: I can tell you emphatically that
1: race had nothing to do with this incident and how this incident played out. What drove this incident was the presence of a gun Officer Yanez was reacting to the actions of Mr. Castile and it's tragic that uh, the result of that uh, was the death of Mr. Castile.
0: That night more than a thousand people gathered for a vigil at the elementary school where Philando Castile had worked. He, I keep saying is,
3: he is a very peaceful gentleman i think kind of mr rogers with
2: dreadlocks
1: <laughs>
3: and my first reaction was oh no not this gentleman not this really kind profoundly gentle and thoughtful and responsible man i want his life to stand
4: for something but i would rather that he were alive
0: But things weren't just unfolding in Minnesota.
2: Tensions were high all across the country after Philando Castile's death. There were protests everywhere. Remember, his death came one day after Alton Sterling was killed by police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.
0: Just after 9 p.m., people were still at the vigil when news started to filter out. Something else had happened. Another shooting. This time, police had been killed. The details were scattered, but they painted a horrifying picture. Uh, we
3: are
1: covering something of a national emergency that is unfolding in the city
0: of Dallas, Texas. We'll stay on that night, morning. at a protest in Dallas, a sniper had opened fire on the police officers in the crowd. We're getting reports of shots fired at a
4: rally in Dallas, Texas. That's the minimal information. That's actually the he most. He killed five that officers right that
0: night and wounded seven. shootings of
4: black men in Louisiana and in Minnesota in recent days. The snipers hit 11 police officers, at least five of whom are now dead, making it the deadliest day in law enforcement since September 11th.
2: After these three days, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, the Dallas police officers, back to back to back, the whole country was rattled. People wondered what would happen next. In the Twin Cities, protests continued. Tensions remained high. Three days after Philando Castile was killed, two days after Dallas, Misha Grimm stood in the back of a pickup truck with loudspeakers and led protesters on a mile-long march from the governor's mansion to the Lexington Avenue on-ramp of Interstate 94. That's the main artery that connects St. Paul and Minneapolis.
3: Hey, 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 do not break that line. Do not break that line. Do not move forward. Do not
2: the move truck forward. hopped a median, bypassed the State Patrol squad cars that were blocking the ramp, and went onto the freeway. Protesters followed. They blocked off traffic and shut down I 94 for five hours. The sun went down, and when officers tried to clear the interstate, the protest took a turn. The media collective Unicorn Riot streamed it all live. People on overpasses threw rocks and pieces of rebar at police. The officers used smoke bombs to try and disperse the crowds. Police say 21 officers were injured that night. Forty-six people were charged with third-degree riot.
0: The mayor of St. Paul condemned the violence. The next morning, the city's police chief held a press conference.
2: Last night really was the first time in my 28 years as, as a police officer that I have observed the level of violence that was directed towards our public servants, the public servants that are there to protect all of us in this room and all of us in our
1: community. And it's really a disgrace. And protesters last night turned into criminals, and I'm absolutely disgusted by the acts of some,
2: not all, but some. Philando Castile's family pleaded for peace, too. Wait for the investigation, they said. At her own press conference two days later, Philando's mom, Valerie Castile, got a phone call. President Obama's on the phone for you. President Barack Obama called from Dallas. He was at a memorial for the officers who'd been shot.
1: Well, we're, we're, we're all making a you, and uh, wish you, uh, you know, the, the, the very best during these difficult times. And uh, you know, I'll be speaking about him uh, today, even when I'm in Dallas. Yeah, I, my heart goes out to all the uh, officers that lost their, their lives also. I don't condone violence, and Philando wouldn't want that either. I know he wouldn't.
0: July continued, marked by protests and demonstrations. Crowds stayed at the governor's mansion around the clock. There was a children's march. A young black boy carried a handwritten sign that read, Am I next?
2: In mid-July, Philando Castile's casket was carried on a horse-drawn carriage for a funeral procession through the streets of St. Paul. His pallbearers dressed in white suits and raised their fists.
0: 3,000 mourners filled the pews of the Cathedral of St. Paul, two days before what would have been his 33rd birthday. Pastor Steve Daniels, Jr., who gave the eulogy, said later that Philando Castile was chosen to awaken the nation. As the month came to an end, the Twin Cities were still waiting. The protest at the governor's mansion dwindled. The police closed it down and arrested those who refused to leave. Summit Avenue reopened. The memorial at the scene of the shooting, the corner in Falcon Heights, stayed in place. Balloons shriveled and flowers died, but new ones would appear.
2: In August, tens of thousands of people streamed by the memorial when the state fair opened. They passed it on their way to corn dogs and cheese curds and fair rides.
0: That same month, the St. Anthony Police Department put Officer Yanez back to work, on desk duty. But more protests erupted, and the department quickly changed course. Yanez was returned to paid administrative leave.
2: Meanwhile, the decision of how to proceed with charges against him was resting on the shoulders of Ramsey County's lead prosecutor, John Choi. Like we said before, No Minnesota prosecutor had ever filed charges against a police officer for shooting and killing someone while on duty. In September, the investigation was completed. The findings were delivered to Choi. Still, people waited.
0: In October, Valerie Castile, Philando's mother, marked the three-month anniversary of his death at the corner of Larpenter and Fry.
1: No, we don't know when uh, charges will be decided on. All we can do is just be patient and wait and let them make a thorough investigation because we don't want to leave any room for a mistrial or anything of that nature. Take as much time as you want to, be as thorough as you have to be, and with that being said, justice will be served. The whole world is watching Minnesota.
0: It was November when Choi called a press conference at his office in St. Paul. John and I went to cover it. The room was packed, just like the room eight months earlier where I heard Mike Freeman announce there would be no charges in the shooting of Jamar Clark. There were reporters from
4: all over. Good morning. Today, I want to inform the public about the outcome of our prosecution review of the BCA's investigation regarding the death of Philando Castile, which occurred the evening of July 6th in Falcon Heights, Minnesota.
2: Choice started reviewing the case.
4: I know my decision will be difficult for some in our community to accept, but in order to achieve justice, we must be willing to do the right thing, no matter how hard it may seem.
0: We weren't sure which way he was going to go after he said that, and then?
4: Based upon our thorough and exhaustive review of the facts of this case, it is my conclusion that the use of deadly force by Officer Yanez was not justified, and that sufficient facts exist to prove this to be true.
2: Choi charged Yanez with one count of second-degree manslaughter and two counts of dangerous discharge of a firearm.
0: Activist and Philando Castile's friends were listening in the lobby downstairs. I saw John Thompson in the crowd, Philando's friend from work. He was wearing his Philando hat. The group couldn't believe what they were hearing.
1: Deuce.
3: Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh! My god. oh
4: murder, man. I have given Officer Yanez every benefit of the doubt on his use of deadly force. But I cannot allow the death of a motorist who was lawfully carrying a firearm under these facts and circumstances to go unaccounted for.
2: This was new for everyone. Pastor Danny Givens was there that day, the man who had called out the governor at the protests in July. He felt this time had been different because of Diamond Reynolds' video. And because of the pressure protesters put on those in power, we had him on the radio right after Choi's announcement.
1: Just in having him charged, I mean, is is a victory, you know, along this journey. And I know it's it's one of many victories that we still are pressing towards ahead. But it's it's a victory towards justice, uh, and uh, it's just I'm kind of speechless too, because it's, it's it seems surreal.
0: John Lazoya from the National Latino Peace Officers Association came on our air too. Lazoya emphasized that charges against Yanas still need to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So,
1: all I just ask is that the public, you know, wait until the trial's over, where he is judged, you know, by, by his peers, and that he has received a fair and impartial trial.
2: Next time on 74 Seconds, that trial begins. We look at the prosecution, the defense, and what might happen.
0: You can keep up with the trial and everything related to the case by following us on Twitter at 74 Seconds MPR. If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you can, give us a rating. It really helps people find the show. 74 Seconds is hosted and reported by me, Reham Fischer. And me,
2: John Collins.
0: It's produced by Tracy Mumford and Hans Buto. It's edited by Paul Tosto, Meg Martin, and Mike Edgerly. Production assistance by Manda Lilly.
2: This episode was engineered by Johnny Vince Evans. We had additional reporting from Tim Nelson, Tom Scheck, Solvay Wastfed, Laura Ewan, Marianne Combs, Cody Nelson, and the staff of NPR News. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. Special thanks to Bill Catlin, Molly Bloom, Suzanne Pico, Curtis Gilbert, and Jonathan Blakely. 74 Seconds is a production of NPR News and American Public Media.
0: Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life or death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.